So Money Episode 723, Kara Stevens, founder of The Frugal Feminista. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Would you marry someone if they told you they had thousands of dollars worth of debt and a really bad credit score? All things you had no idea about. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. What do you think? What would you do? I would definitely... uh Take a little bit of time to reflect upon this. Our guest today, Kara Stevens, was in this very situation. She is the founder of the frugalfeminista.com and she has spent a lifetime, she says, overcoming the negative money lessons she learned in childhood to become a happy, successful, and wealthy woman today. Born to a mother who immigrated to the U.S. from Antigua, Kara learned from an early age that money was scarce and that she should never trust men ever. So I had to ask, how does this play into your relationship with your husband today, Kara? What did she do when she discovered prior to getting married that her fiance had $19,000 worth of debt and a 550 credit score? Kara herself is remarkable. She paid off $40,000 worth of debt in two years. She's the creator of the super popular five-day financial reset challenge where she's let over 10,000 women reset their financial life. She's the author of Heal Your Relationship with Money, Understand Your Why, Let Go of Past Financial Dysfunction, and Make Peace with Your Money in Just 28 Days. Well, we got 30 minutes with Kara Stevens, and I hope that we'll be able to walk away feeling more at peace with our money. I think we can. Here we go. Here is Kara Stevens. Kara Stevens, welcome to So Money. So excited to be here, Farnoosh. And I just finished sharing your illustrious bio with our listeners. And I'm on your site now, and you've got all these kind of fun, random factoids about Kara Stevens, a.k.a. the Frugal Feminista. And I do this on my site, too. I think it's really fun mm-hmm. when people can kind of learn other stuff about you. Like, did you know that Farnoosh was Sally Bowles in her sixth, you know, 11th grade <laughs> production of Cabaret? Um, right. You... Love reality TV. Yes. Who doesn't? I mean, you're a vegan. Ish. 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 Fake yes. vegan. <laughs> I'm a fake vegan. What does that I mean? am. So you like what where do you cheat? So I have I'm, I think I'm like a situational vegan where like when I get home to my mom and you know, we're from the Caribbean. So when she cooks something like some curry goat, I can't say no. But in all other venues, I can um, I can go without the the meat or the cheese, cheese or and the that. Dairy. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. It's so limiting. It feels so limiting. But yeah. And you are an introvert, which I would never have guessed because we met because you came up to me at an event recently in January at uh, Blog Her Health in New York City. Tell me about your introvertedness. Like, how does that help you? And sometimes, how do you feel like you wish you weren't an introvert? Well, I think the reason like I was able to talk to you is because I wanted to meet you. So I guess some things just, you know, trump others. But I think the benefit of being an introvert is that you actually look for meaningful connection. Not to say that extroverts don't, but because you can get past the small talk. I know in our conversation, though, it was short. We talked about just 
we talked about um, relationships and money and that's deep stuff. That's like third conversation over tea, you know, kind of talk instead <laughs> it's of not like first date material. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel like that works to my benefit because I mean, as an introvert, I feel that I, I have a good handle on people. I understand emotions like because I understand my own very well. So I'm able to relate and empathize and kind of share myself in a way um, where I feel like I don't have to put on too many pretenses. So I think that works for me. Against me, sometimes I feel that um, I may not make the first move um, and I may um, maybe miss out on other conversations because I'm so into one. But sometimes I feel like you get what you get. So that's not necessarily a drawback, but you know, that's what it comes with being an introvert. Well, when it comes to your financial life, you are very brave. You are very bold. And actually your, your subtitle for Frugal Feminista is be happy, be wealthy, be brave. Yes. Tell me about your bravery. And I know you have had a, a personal comeuppance, you know, when it comes to your financial life, you've had to sort of reconcile a lot of your past and a lot of the belief systems that you grew up with in order to really embrace your financial freedom today. Along the way, talk about your bravery. What did you have to be brave about? Let's go deep. Let's talk about that. Well, I think that's a great question. I think um, sometimes like in a lot of families, the idea of kind of airing your dirty laundry is really frowned upon. And so in order for me to really help myself, even help my community, I had to be completely honest and transparent about some of the struggles that I went through. So a lot of people know my story. I grew up with my mom. She's a tremendous woman and I have so much respect for her. But, you know, the fact that my father left us um, and she he left us um, for us to fend for ourselves, my mom had to... Um, do everything in terms of being there financially for us and emotionally for us. And that took a toll on her. And oftentimes when it came up to finances, she often um, had a very scary and scarce mentality when it came to money. And so I grew up thinking that there was never enough money, that I should never trust men with money in particular. I should never trust family with money. And that the idea of you know how we talk about self-care now was something that was frivolous and frowned upon and that happiness was also a luxury. And so growing up, um, I had this belief that you had to be very hard and be very um, serious in life. And those things served me well in terms of being a good saver in a lot of ways and being extremely ambitious, but there was no joy in my life. So what I had to do, I had to, um, I went to therapy. I did a lot of personal development, a lot of introspection, journaling, retreats in order to figure out, like, why do I think this way? And when I saw um, my counterparts being able to have what seemingly seemed like a healthy relationship with money, I had to think about what was it that they thought about money that I didn't think about and to what extent were some of my mom's beliefs unnecessarily true and also to what extent did her money story um, impact mine and to what extent was my money story different from hers and what role I played in separating the two. So um, that bravery came with just being honest about parts of your life that you weren't very happy with, that you weren't comfortable with and having the wherewithal to go step by step to change it. And sometimes it's a recursive process where you may feel like you're moving forward and then you have a trigger, something happens, you have a conversation with say, 
my mom or my father or I have a uh, I start a relationship with a guy and then all these feelings that I was taught about money start flooding and sabotage that interaction and then you pick yourself up and start again. So um, I've been able to overcome a lot of those things just through a lot of self-awareness, talk, conversation and helping other women share their stories and see that they're not alone. How did you know that your mindset wasn't right? I mean, you said that to some extent, Mm -hmm. growing up strong and sort of Mm -hmm. having a hard Mm -hmm. um, persona Mm -hmm. that helped because you were able to save, but then you Mm -hmm. said you became unhappy. What, what was like, is there a moment where you were like, this isn't working for me? Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of feedback in college. Like the one thing was that I never, um, I never had a problem, um, having a boyfriend, you know, or having love, but it was in, inside the relationship where I began to see that, um, something wasn't right. You know what I mean? It wasn't as loving and as caring as I would have liked it to have been. And I knew that I wanted to be a different person. So I was aware that there were two different people that I could have been. And I was um, more entrenched in the person that I had grown used to for survival. But I wanted to be the Kara that didn't have to survive, that she thrived. So in answering your question, was there, there were various moments where I got feedback from boyfriends, like, or even feedback from girlfriends, like, Kara, you know, you're super smart, you know what I mean? But you're always so tight or close, and not tight in terms of money necessarily, but just tight in terms of affection or sharing or being open. And that was also, I feel like, a synonymous with how I was treating money in a lot of different ways, you know, just very survival, um, austere, stoic. Um, when it comes to finances and emotions. So um, I listened to the feedback. And even though I couldn't necessarily do anything about it, I could understand that there was some truth to it because I also realized that that about myself. And then I also read that when you found out that your fiance had $19,000 in debt and a 550 credit score, you Mm -hmm. told him that you wouldn't marry him until he cleaned it up. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And a great thing about that. Was That's kind of that- the old Kara, but it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's, but it's being useful. Right. Because I had, by, but before then I had, um, I was, uh, I had dated someone that, um, we were at a different stage in our relationship where I was asking him about his personal finances, but we weren't together officially. So I really had no business. So I had learned the lessons that, yes, I want to know where you are financially, but in a way that preserves the relationship that allows and engenders communication. So the way I did it was that, um, we had, it was like our six month anniversary and we were really getting serious at that time. And we went to the Waldorf Astoria and we were trying to just like really figure out, cause he was kind of talking about marriage and things like that. And I was like ready at that time. Cause I had worked through a lot of those, um, kind of, um, challenges. And, but I was like, but I still, because I'm still a very practical woman, I'm still very, you know, self-sufficient. And I still have these residual beliefs about, you know, relationships and commingling of any type of property and ownership. So I brought this book called, um, hundred hard questions and we went through the section. So it was very structured. It wasn't kind of out of the blue or very emotionally driven. It was just like, let's answer these questions. And then at the end of that conversation, I realized that, wow, you know, we had, I loved him and that he had so much going for him, but this had to, you know, this had to be reconciled. And so, um, 
I gave him some time. I didn't pressure him. And he did what he said he was going to do. And that's one of the reasons why I love him very much and why we work so well together as a couple. You also have a book coming out called Don't Let Him Touch Your Assets. Yes. So tell me about that because that that title to me still feels very reminiscent of the sort of the teachings of your mom, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can't trust men. Right. So what what do you teach in that book and what's what's kind of the balance? I think that's a great question. I think the book is um, about dating and relationships. And um, I go through the different types of men that I've dated financially so that you can know some of the signs of um, men that have um, scarcity or not so great relationships with money. So while my my background in terms of my mindset um, as um, growing up definitely gave me a, a particular lens, there's no there's no financial identity that is completely, um, d- completely, um, dysfunctional. So I can, from having those experiences, I have been able to suss out men that definitely may want to, um, not work or men that are very wealthy, but then are very, um, selfish in terms of, um, generosity and things like that. And then, um, so in the book we talk about, um, I call him Maurice the miser. This is a man that definitely has lots of money, but is very financially abusive and controlling to women. Um, and my experience with him, um, I talk about Twan the deadbeat, which is a guy that is very charming, but has no ambition. And then, um, I talk about also the Kareem, the career killer who is kind of, um, Maurice the career killer. Yes. Um, he is the, um, the man, he's kind of goes hand in hand with Maurice the miser and he, um, doesn't want his women to work. Um, so he can control a lot of the, yes. And the last one is Andrea the extravagant who, you know, a lot of us in this live your best life kind of materialistic world want him to be very handsome, very, um, extravagant, very lavish, but he is living and drowning in debt. So I don't, but I set you all up. So you go on these speed dating rounds with these men just to figure out what their money mindset is in one way, but also what their financial accounts may possibly look like, their retirement accounts, their savings account, their their approach to um, investing, property ownership, credit score. So I kind of give you these archetypes for you to see that, you know, when you're dating, um, dating is as much about getting to know someone emotionally, um, spiritually, sexually as it is financially. But then I set you up on these speed dates in order for you to meet um, and prepare yourself for what I call um, Raheem the Responsible. So by the end of having gone through um, these dates, you begin to see that, okay, these are the kind of things that I may want to have in a long-term relationship with someone that I can truly build a life with. And I talk about Raheem the Responsible um, in two ways. Raheem, um, right from the start, which is someone who was lucky enough to to have had a financial background where his parents taught him to have a healthy relationship with money. Or you have Raheem the Reformed, who may have had his slips and drips and dips, but understands that he's rebuilding and has a plan. So it's not necessarily, um, it it is definitely informed by my previous experiences, but it comes from a place of a deep love for love and a deep love for relationships and a deep understanding of how money plays a role um, in 
solidifying or destroying marriages and, and relationships. I love that. And probably a good book for some guys to read. I want to hear from you because you you yourself had this deal breaker in your own relationship, which was clean up your debt, get your better mm-hmm. credit score, or we're not getting married. What are some other deal breakers you recommend for women, financial deal breakers, when they're dating? When they're dating? Um, I think you have to, I mean, I think that's an interesting question, but I also have to understand where the woman is coming from. I think she has to know what her financial identity is first. Um, does she identify more as a saver or as a spender and understanding the benefits and drawbacks of having that identity? Um, I think a man though, that when you're dating and I guess the, if you're not really looking for anything serious, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? But if it's something that you really say like, this is, I'm looking for a serious relationship, something committed where we can really build together. I would definitely talk about, um, to what extent, how much debt do they have? And then what's their plan for it? Because some of us, you know, um, you talk about um, Henry's, which are high earners, not rich yet. Like the people that go into medical school, that become dentists, pharmacists, they may have a lot of debt, but they also have the potential to earn. So kind of having a bigger picture of what their plan, what their debt is, but what their plan is in terms of being able to repay it um, is extremely important. Um, and also in terms of deal breakers, so if a man doesn't have a plan, or I think also if a man doesn't complete what he starts, like if he has a, a history of starting things and not finishing things, more than likely, um, you're going to have yourself a problem with people that for committing or to building up for like, say, um, a down payment on a home. Or if you say you want to start a business, how much it really takes to see things through just not the honeymoon phase, but when it really, when stuff really hits the fan, are you able to really stick through with your goals? So if you notice that in your dating relationship that your, uh, your, your potential mate doesn't really follow through with the things that they say, especially if they're big goals, um, you're going to have a a problem long term with ever really um, building something up together. So I would would say look out for that. You got me thinking because, you Mm -hmm. know, all of this is really important to learn. And hopefully you're in a relationship where there is communication, even if the communication Mm -hmm. isn't great or you're not hearing what you want to hear, at least you're talking. But sometimes people just don't open up about money. And do you think that that can work itself out as well? I don't think anything can work itself out unless you actually put effort into it. You know, that's with anything. So sometimes um, I think you have someone has to be the leader in one way, whether it be um, you gradually bring up the conversation here and there. Like maybe you pose a question saying, hey, you know, um, you know, I, I was talking to like, say, like my girlfriend and she was talking to her fiance about their debt. And I was really fascinated with the way that they started their conversation, something small like that, that's really low risk and, um, can't put someone on the defense. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Like, maybe we should do something like that, you know? So I would, there has to be some type of goal and an outcome desired, and then you have to work backwards. And if the person is very squeamish about the topic, think about ways to make the goal more bite-sized and benchmarks um, a little bit smaller so you can reach your goal, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I I don't think anything in life um, that you want can be put on an autopilot way of getting it because you'll never get anywhere, especially if it's really important to you. So um, I think there's all types, there's ways that you can be extremely um, encouraging, motivating, and um, and goal oriented in making sure that communication happens. So I think it's also understanding, um, 
I think one, not, not sure if it's a deal breaker, but it's definitely something to look out for is to what role does your potential spouse have other financial obligations that will, um, definitely impede your, your, um, your goals together. So there may be some, um, family, you may have some, they may have a relationship with their family members where they're the family ATM. And so they're bailing out cousins, they're co-signing, on loans, they're co-signing for cars, you know, they're the ones that pays medical bills. And that's very hard to overcome in a lot of ways, unless you talk about it and you have a plan. Because in some um, relationships, it may be that that money that should be going toward the building of your family is being placed in other people's pockets. And that's a very um, hard situation to come into because you never want to come between someone and their family. But it's also making that person aware that if they want to have their own family, there are certain financial boundaries that have to be established and honored. And then having conversations with family members um, in a respectful way that maintains the relationship, but also clearly lets them know that there's going to have to be a shift in how finances are run in the um, the extended family because they're new priorities. I love how you put that. There's going to have to be a shift, <laughs> a small little shift. Yeah. Yeah. It's so complex, isn't yeah. it? It's right. And especially if you come from different cultures, um, it's very, so say you're an American who's married to someone whose culture is very much more, less individualistic and more like, what do you mean? Like it's a, it's a, a, a pot that everyone gets to take from. It doesn't matter if I'm the one putting in more, it's still a family. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of conversations that have to happen or agree to disagrees or certain things that just be non-negotiables. You know, you have to come up with your own code of financial conversation um, and your own financial culture to mesh the cultures because there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with Americans' beliefs about money and individualism versus another culture's beliefs about um, cooperative economics. There has to be a meeting place if you're going to live together and thrive together. Yes, your own relationship culture, financial Mm -hmm. culture. You're also a proponent of earning more versus spending less, which I also love. But tell me how you came to this this philosophy. Uh, that's a great question, Farnoosh. I think because it would just because when I realized that the world wasn't so scarce and so scary when it came to money, um, I realized too that there's saving is a great strategy in wealth building, but it will only take you so far because if you make a certain amount of money, you can only cut back on certain things until it begins to make you unhappy um, in terms of things you have to sacrifice to save more money. So there's always a cap on how much you can save. But when it comes to earning, there's no cap on how much you can earn, especially if you decide that entrepreneurship is something that you want to do. Um, And for me, I realized that that was the best way for me to continue to reinforce this belief that the world is an abundant place, um, that I actually have more control over things than I thought I did, and that you can have um, a great amount of joy um, in life, and it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from the amount of money that you have. So um, it took a while for me to realize, like, hey, you know, there's not only one way to be wealthy. You could definitely be wealthy through saving and, and through, and I am, I, the, I am, I have the frugal feminista, meaning that, you know, I'm careful, I'm careful in about spending, but I'm not cheap when I'm not, you know, um, 
extreme about cheapskate beliefs. I realized that if you decide that earning money is um, more compatible for you to feel more abundant, to feel that you have more control, then you should do it. There's a, like you said, there's a limit to how much you can save. There's really mm-hmm. not a limit to how much you can earn. But speaking of spending, and maybe the frugal feminista has a good answer for this. I bet you mm-hmm. do. This question comes to us from our sponsor, Chase Slate. What is something, a big ticket item right now, Kara, that you are saving up for? Does it have to be extremely, it's not a necessity. Actually, I'm setting up for an uh, interior designer. Oh, <laughs> um, that's a good one. Yeah, um, because my husband and I, we, we are definitely simple people and we have a small home, but I want it to be completely beautiful exactly the way I want it. And so I'm not an interior designer. I really don't, I, I admire them, but I have, that's not my, my strength. And I really don't have really any interest in going shopping and doing those things. So I want to have my home exactly the way I want it. And I want some person to actually do it. That's a professional. So that's um, one thing I'm saving up for, to have an interior designer. Of course, then you have to pay for the furniture too. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's the service yep. and there are the products. Yep. yep. Um, that's a great answer. Yeah. No, that's that's certainly big ticket. And some. And what's your timeline for that? Is that something that's going to happen in 2018? Yes. Um, so I've been, so I had the idea since last year. And also when you have a little one, you know, you want, she gets into everything and draws on walls and things like that. So you have to make sure she's a little bit older. So I started the idea last year. I'm having conversations and doing some research about who I may want to work with and putting my ideas on Pinterest. And I actually started uh, an account for um, interior design. So now it makes it even more exciting because I've named it. Um, I did say 2018. So we have about nine more months and um, I can begin to feel really good about why I'm maybe doing more work. I'm just not working to save. I'm working to have a beautiful home. So it just kind of gives me more excitement to get through the whole process. Perfect. You're visualizing it. You're compartmentalizing it. You're doing the research. You have a timeline. Yes. Wonderful. All right. What is a habit that you have, a financial habit that that really helps you maybe in your relationship or just, you know, in general, help you manage your money well? Um, what I do is I actually get um, weekly text updates about um, my specifically my business account and my, my, um, savings account. Like I just get weekly updates to see, um, how much I've saved and how much is there, which is good for me. And I also, what I do is I just pay myself first. So because I told you, like we've talked about like my previous mindset, as long as I pay myself first and I have long-term my retirement, I have short-term my budget and my bills then I can feel comfortable to splurge more because everything else is taken care of. So um, those two things. So the the um, seeing what I have on a weekly basis shows me that it's growing. The net worth is growing. So I don't have to be afraid. And then two, once I pay myself first, I can logically say I have extra money to spend on myself, someone else, whatever it is, without feeling any type of um financial guilt or anything like that. Or uncertainty. You know, sometimes you mm-hmm. spend and you're like, can I really afford this? Yeah. Is this going to compromise my savings or my retirement or, Mm -hmm. and the truth is, like you said, if you take care of the sort of the the big tent pole items first, like savings, retirement, Mm -hmm. and you 
and paying yourself first, Mm -hmm. then whatever's left, enjoy it. You know, right. and you can kind of, and it's some, it's a smaller amount of money at that point. You can kind of keep it in a running list in your head of of how you're spending and, and how things really stack up against other expenses. Absolutely, and I think even the idea, I think for me, is not is the idea that I could spend that gives me freedom. I don't always even have to spend it, and I think that's where the beauty is because sometimes people feel because they can't have it, they'll just feel the sense of scarcity and they just want to spend just to spite that feeling. But the idea is that if I have it, I have the option to spend or not to spend, but it's always there and it's always mine. And I think that's something that keeps me from not splurging for splurging sake, splurging when I really feel like I really, really want this or I really, really want that. Before we have you go, Kara, I want you to talk all about Heal Your Relationship with Money. This is your most recent book. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the maybe lesser known ways for us to do that. I know that sometimes people don't even realize we have a relationship with money. Yeah. I mean, just kind of all the things we were talking about, like my stories about my mom, um, the stories that we all carry with us about what we think money can and can't do for us. And the book really helps you begin to understand what your money why is. Like, why do I spend? Why do I chronically hoard money? Um, Why do I seem to give and give and give and never keep for myself? And this book really helps you dig deep into those money narratives and money stories from your childhood and your adolescence to really uncover Am I still allowing maybe a 17-year-old or a five-year-old to control my finances? And a lot of times we are. And this book allows you to really go through 28 days of different um, what I call life work exercises for you to really uncover, wow, what is my financial family tree? Um, what are my values, my, my common values, and how should I be aligning my spending to those? And once you begin to see those things, you really begin to say, wow, um, this is how I want my new relationship with money um, to to thrive and to grow in that particular way. That's really cool how you put it. Like, do I really want to let my 17-year-old self manage my money or, you know, yeah. my antiquated, the antiquated values of my mother manage my money? Because, you know, exactly. that's also part of it too, is like how yes. you were raised. That's That's a really interesting way of putting it. So 28 days, can we really transform in 28 days? I think you can. I think that um, sometimes you're just waiting for that last thing to push you over the edge, you know, and sometimes these 28 days, if you do the each week has each week has a goal. So week one is about really uncovering your financial past, your emotional past related to your finances. Um, And I think that does a lot of healing and a lot of um, decluttering emotionally. And the women that I've worked with in my community and in my Facebook group, they just send me these letters about them crying. And they some of them take the day off work the next day because they have more to process. So there's a lot of work that can be done in 28 days. And the great thing about a book is that you can read it over and over again. So it may be two times the due to 28 days, but you'll get it done. Kara Stevens, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I have to ask you to finish this sentence. We didn't get to any of the other fill in the blanks, but I do want you to answer this. I'm Kara Stevens. I'm so money because? I'm optimistic about um, what money can do for me. And I'm also realistic about what it can't do for me. Thank you so much again. We'll be looking out for all your books. And I know you have so many offerings on your site at The Frugal Feminista. So we'll be sure to promote that on the website. And please come back. I'd love talking to you. 
I would love to come back. Thank you so much to Kara for joining us. Her book again is called Heal Your Relationship with Money. Understand your why, let go of past financial dysfunction, and make peace with your money in just 28 days. So like by June, you could be in a better place with your money. I like that. Kara is also offering our community a free gift called the five-day financial reset plan. You can access it at thefrugalfeminista.com slash community. And Kara is on Twitter and Instagram at frugalfeminista. All this info is back at somoneypodcast.com if you missed any of it. And if you have a question for me for the Friday episodes, you know what to do. Go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your question there or send in a voicemail. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram. And I usually get back pretty quick on Instagram. So that might be your best bet if you're in a bind. But I hope to hear from you either way. And I hope your day is so money. Money.